0: If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Mark chapter 7 and verse 24. Mark seven 24. we're continuing a series in the Gospel of Mark that we will put on pause after next Sunday's sermon. So this Sunday and next will be our last Sundays in the Gospel of Mark for a while, and then we will spend the summer in the Psalms. I'm looking forward to that. I hope you will be as well, um, but just wanted to make you aware of that. The text that we come to today, on the surface level, is another account of Jesus exercising a demon from a little girl. And that in and of itself is amazing. I mean, just think about the miracle, the power of Christ. But the reality is, this is nothing new in Mark's gospel, is it? Uh, We've seen Jesus exercise demons. We've seen Christ heal uh, those with an unclean spirit. We've seen him even heal from a distance, where he says the words, and somebody is healed. So I don't want to take anything away from the glory of the miracle in Mark 7:24 through30. But I do believe that it is in Mark's gospel for a point of greater emphasis. That is to say, I believe that we will see today. The profound faith of this Gentile woman, this Syrophoenician woman, we'll also see something of the importance and the priority of the Jewish people in salvation history. But then come to see the full inclusion of the Gentiles in God's plan of redemption as well. There's a lot for us in these few short verses. So. I encourage you to uh, meditate on these things as we stand and we read God's word together in Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 24 and through verse 30. He got up and departed from there to the region of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, but he could not escape notice. Instead, Immediately after hearing about him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit came and fed his feet. The woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she was asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. He said to her, Let the children be fed first, because it isn't right to take the children's bread and Throw it to the dogs. But she replied to him, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, Because of this reply, you may go, The demon has left your daughter. When she went back to her home, she found her child lying on the bed, and the demon was gone. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Now, if you are only taking a quick read through this passage, your first impression might be a little dazed. This is a little rough around the edges. At first glance, it appears that Jesus is almost being rude to this woman, But right from the get-go, just want to allay everyone's fears. I want you to know that I believe Jesus, the masterful teacher that he is, was drawing out the faith of this woman with his question to her. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. That's actually point three in the outline today. But I just wanted to kind of allay your fears because I know what some of you are thinking. You are thinking about Stephanie Tanner from Full House and you were looking up the little gif of how you could text it to me, right? How rude, right? You were going to text that to me. Now, for those of you who are younger than I am, uh, don't start Googling who Stephanie Tanner is and what Full House is, because I know if you're younger than me, that's the first thing. You, who is Stephanie? What is he talking about? So you start to Google. So don't be tempted to do that. And then for those of you older that didn't understand what a gif is, that's that little animated image that you text All right, so I guess for the 13 of you that were old enough to understand who Stephanie Tanner is and young enough to know what a jiff is, that little joke was for you. (laughs) But anyway, back to the text. (laughs) Let's rewind from the beginning and see, first of all, that Jesus' fame preceded him. Jesus' fame preceded him. We're told in verse 24, Jesus got up and went to the region of Tyre, or as some manuscripts have, it was Tyre and Sidon. They were neighboring cities. We're told that Jesus entered a house and didn't want anyone to know about it. There's no explicit explanation, but could it be perhaps that he was tired? Your spouse can explain that to you when you get home. Anyway, the Jewish rabbis, they taught that the region of Tyre and Sidon was committed to gross paganism and idolatry. It certainly was not the place you would have expected somebody to come running up to seek out the Jewish Messiah. But in Mark chapter 3 and verse 8... Mark tells us that the people from Tyre and Sidon had already heard about Jesus. They were part of the crowds following him around, and they had heard about what Jesus was doing. So news had spread even to the coastal regions about Jesus, and he could not escape notice when he arrived. In the words of Martha and the Vandellas, there was nowhere to run to, baby, nowhere to hide. I had to get that in for the, for the boomers out here, right? Because you're feeling a little left out with me talking about GIFs. It's groovy. Trust me, it's groovy. <laughs> and see, only the boomers are laughing at this joke. Please, I got to get back to the text here. <laughs> so instead of finding a quiet retreat, Jesus is approached, importunately, by a Gentile woman whose daughter is demon possessed. And the background that Mark gives us, we find out that she was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth. Now, when Mark calls her a Greek, the CSB translates it a Gentile, he simply means that she was from an area that had been conquered by Alexander the Great, which afterward had been Hellenized or turned into Greek speaking people. It doesn't mean she was from. Greece. It just means she spoke Greek and she was a Gentile. Her nationality was not Grecian, but she was Syro Phoenician, which means she was from the area uh, where, uh, from birth, where the, there were Syrian and Phoenician cultures. She was in every possible way you could check off the box, not Jewish. Okay, that's the underline here. She was not a Jew. Matthew, in his parallel account in the Gospel calls her a woman of Canaan. R.T. France, he insightfully mentions that of all the people that could have approached Christ, not many had quite as much against them from an Orthodox Jewish point of view as this lady did. She was, first of all, a woman, and therefore one with whom a respectable Jewish teacher would not have associated with. She was, as we have seen, emphatically a Gentile. And her daughter's condition, being unclean, would have been expected to inspire fear or even disgust at her approach to Jesus. The uncleanness of the demon would have made this woman ritually impure. And nevertheless, she is undeterred from asking Jesus to help her because She believes Jesus can heal her little girl. She even evidences her submission to him when she falls at his feet, much like we've seen in this gospel Jairus does, or the Gadarean demoniac did. She fell at his feet as Lord. But then we are met with Jesus' reply in which he responds that the children are first to be filled. The children, Jesus says, are first to be filled. The children here are a metaphor for the Jewish people. Jesus says they are to be fed first because, quote, it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs, which would have been a metaphor for the Gentiles. Now, before we take the second half of the phrase, I want us to really camp out on the beginning part of that phrase because I believe it was Jesus' way of leaving the door open just a little bit for a little repartee from this woman, a little back and forth, so to speak. If you look at the beginning of Jesus' response in verse 27, he says, The children are to be fed— or more literally, filled or satisfied, first. The children are to be fed first. Take that one little word first out of the sentence, and there's no hope for this woman, or frankly for you and for me, none. Imagine this phrase without that word first in it. Jesus would have said, Let the children be fed, because it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. There would be no room for any debate. The door would be completely shut to the Gentiles receiving the Messiah's bread. But Jesus intentionally uses this word first to show there is a divinely established order to things. One commentator, Robert Stein, he points out that in the Gospel of Mark, the way this word first appears here, it always appears to show a divinely ordered plan. For example, Mark 3.27 says, first Satan is bound and then his house is plundered. Or Mark 9:11, first Elijah comes, and then the Messiah will appear. Or Mark 13, 10, first the gospel must be proclaimed, and then the end comes. You see the order taking place with this use of the word in the gospel. And here again, Mark 7:27, Jesus says, first The Jews received the bread, and then Gentiles. Jesus came on a mission to the lost sheep of Israel, as Matthew's parallel puts it. His disciples were all Jewish. Jesus fulfilled the Jewish law. He was the true firstborn son who obeyed and defeated Satan in the wilderness temptation. He is the Jewish Messiah. But Jesus says, not just, let the children be fed, but rather, let the children be fed first. And brothers and sisters, that is really good news for us Gentiles. Do you recall what Paul said about the gospel of God in Romans chapter 1, verse 16? He said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew, what? First. And also, also to the Greek, to the Gentile. The gospel is for the Jew first and also for the Greek. And this is exactly how the apostle Paul ministered, isn't it? Whenever Paul would enter into a town, he would go to the synagogue first. There he would proclaim the message to the Jews and those Gentile God-fearers who would gather with them. With the faithful remnant of Israel first called out, then he would turn his attention to the Gentiles. For example, Acts chapter 13 and verse 46. Paul and Barnabas spoke out, Boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. Paul would minister to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. This is how it was always meant to be. The promise to Abraham was that in him all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Brothers and sisters, let us never forget the Jewish roots of our faith. Our Lord himself said in John chapter 4, salvation is from the Jews. At the time of Jesus, though, the Jewish people largely missed their Messiah. They rejected him in mass there was a righteous remnant, but the majority missed it. But Paul, when speaking to the church at Rome, he made sure to remind us Gentiles, the root holds up the branches and not the other way around. Let's get things straight. Romans eleven seventeen. But if some of the branches... We're broken off. This is the Jewish people. And you, although a wild olive shoot, a Gentile, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the natural branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Paul perceives they might object. Then you will say, Gentile people, Branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith, so do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness toward you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off, and even they, the natural branches, even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. You see, it's always by faith, right? In the root, in the Messiah, in the Jewish promises to the patriarch, always by faith. They can be grafted in if they'll just believe in Jesus. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back in to their own olive tree? Lest you be wise in your own sight I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. The gospel Paul says, and he is merely echoing the words of our Savior Jesus, came in an order. It came first to the Jews. Oh, but brothers and sisters, this is where our Lord, he was teasing out the response of faith in this woman and signaling the fact that the Messiah's bread will be open to the Gentiles as well. Let the children be fed first, so much. In that word. Well, I want you to see now, thirdly, how the woman's persistent faith is teased out. There is a way of looking at this text that would say that this whole entire conversation just caught Jesus on a bad day. Right? That Jesus was caught off guard by this woman. He had wanted to get away, go unnoticed. And here comes this pesky woman who has found him. So he gives her a rather blunt, straightforward, and true answer to try and deter her about his ministry being for the Jewish people. But in the end, he is overwhelmed or finds her witticism so impressive that he just gives in and gives her what she wants. But the portrait of Jesus in Mark's gospel is never one that makes it seem like Jesus is caught off guard. If you've been with us through the last several weeks, you've seen Jesus is authoritative Lord. And Jesus, as the master teacher, is in control of this conversation. He's never out of the driver's seat. I'm inclined to believe, along with many others who have studied this text before me, that Jesus was being intentionally provocative to draw out this woman's faith. And it is so impressive. I was moved as I studied this text by the faith of this Gentile woman. Take a look at her response to Jesus in verse 28. And I'd like to read it in the ESV, which will be on the screens, which reflects the majority of Greek manuscripts. She answered him, Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. This lady is remarkable. She not only stakes her claim by faith, she does so with a full submission to Jesus as Lord. She says... Yes, Lord. It's the only place in Mark's gospel, only place where Jesus is addressed like this. It means more than a simple, polite, yes, sir. It displays an acceptance of him as authoritative. She is not arguing with Jesus about his divine prerogative to show mercy to the Jewish people first Do not forget that alongside of the disclosure of the divine name in Exodus chapter 3 he says I am who I am part of his character that he revealed is he will have mercy on whom he has mercy This woman doesn't argue with Jesus about what he may or may not do with his mercy as he sees fit There is a divinely ordered plan And she is not interested in jumping ahead in that line to receive mercy or bread before the Jewish people do. She willingly accepts being called a a dog. She goes along with this analogy, as humbling as that would be to her own pride, and says, I understand that I am merely a beggar at the table around the children. I don't have a right to eat the bread you have set before them. I don't want the children's bread, though, Lord. I'll be satisfied with just the crumbs that fall from their table. The dogs don't have to wait to get a loaf of bread. The crumbs are satisfying enough, Brothers and sisters, I wonder if we are as willing as this woman was to take our Lord at his word about how he will and won't do things. Are we finding ourselves in agreement with the word of God and its program, timing, sequence of how God has ordained things, or do we bristle against it? This woman's Humility is remarkable. Being related to dog status is not the kind of humble pie most of us are willing and ready to eat. But this woman gets it. She would gladly be a dog under the table of a well-fed child any day of the week. Because she knows even the dogs get some crumbs and they won't starve. So all of a sudden, we find ourselves talking about a Gentile woman who seems to understand more about Jesus and bread than the disciples do. If you were here two weeks ago, You'll remember the disciples were hard hearted because, as Mark records, they didn't understand about the loaves. This woman knows about bread, she knows. The bread Messiah is giving to the Jews is so satisfying that just sitting under the table and licking up the crumbs is enough. In the end, Jesus rewards this woman's faith. In Matthew's gospel, it says that Jesus commended her faith. Matthew fifteen twenty eight. Jesus answered her, O oh woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. This woman had the eyes to see and boldness to lay claim on the blessing of the Gentiles through the Jewish Messiah. The promise to Abraham was that in him all nations of the earth would be blessed. The book of Isaiah prophesies, predicts a day. When in chapter 25, verse 6, the prophet writes, On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. Isaiah tells of a day when the banquet will be spread for all nations, first the Jews, but also for the Greek. Mark's gospel, I believe, even foreshadows this in a way. When the feeding of the 5,000 sort of represents the Jewish people at the Messianic banquet, but the next chapter, the feeding of the 4,000, is set in a Gentile context. Are you catching the theme of bread in this section of Mark's gospel? Jesus will even warn them of the leaven of the Pharisees. There's bread, 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 crumbs, bread, bread, all the way through this. The bread may be for the children first, but by faith, Jews and Gentiles will all be welcome to eat the bread of life. It's on the true bread from heaven that we feast each and every time we come to the Lord's table. In John's gospel, it is shortly after the feeding of 5,000 and walking on the water that Jesus says this to the crowds. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. And I will raise Him up on the last day. If you are hungry, Jesus can satisfy you. And if you are a Gentile, as most of us in this room are. Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, can save you by faith. Look to the Son. Look upon the Son. Believe in his death on the cross for your sins. His body is true bread that is broken for us. His blood is true wine poured out for you at Calvary. Take and eat. It seems entirely appropriate today that we should participate together in the Lord's